Not Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And today we are joined by a very special guest. It's our one and only Kate Erbland here in from Los Angeles, our film editor from New York. Here for, I don't know, what's going on this weekend? You, you busy? Do you want to like, you want to go see a movie or something? No, I mean, I just came out here basically like for fun and yeah. hanging loose and like might on Saturday go to this event that's on the beach in a tent. I think it's called the Indie Spirits. Oh, la di da, la di da. And then there's something quite la di da on Sunday, which you may know as the Oscars. Oh, I thought you meant brunch. Like my lot. Oh, I'm having brunch before. Okay, that's There's good. definitely brunch. Good. So you're going to have brunch and then you're going to go to the Oscars. Yeah. No time Very for brunch? I mean, yes. It depends on when you start brunch. It's an early brunch followed yeah. by an early hair blow drying Perhaps appointment. Perhaps it's just breakfast. Well, I mean, I, I need to... It's have on my, Sunday, though. Yeah, I have to have my strength for, you know, an 18-hour-long show or however long it's going to be this year. New new topic. Screw the old topic. Let's just talk about brunch rules. What is brunch? No, let's not. <laughs> eggs. It has to involve eggs in some way. Oh, that's a controversial take. Ben, where do you land on that statement? No, I completely agree. <laughs> that it has to involve eggs? Absolutely. You're, you enjoy pancakes, though. Of course, but I like it with eggs. Okay. That's why I go to Dupar's and I get breakfast. <laughs> but pancakes are a breakfast food. Like something like, I feel like an eggs benedict is a brunch food or like a scramble. Something you get like a little mini skillet. That's brunch. Mm, I don't think I don't think brunch has foods. <laughs> brunch has brunch booze, is, though. Brunch is just a time. But what is the time? The time is from 10 to 1 on Sundays. <laughs> See, that's a that's a very LA attitude, but I feel like I've I've been to New York and I've had I've had br- quote unquote brunch with New Yorkers at three p.m. Yeah, they're wrong though. That's not brunch. Kate, as a New Yorker, where do you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I did. I don't know. This has been on my mind lately. I don't know about the the rules of brunch. Um, I mean, I think one thing we do need to consider is I don't think that brunch is only on Sunday anymore. I mean, I think that used to be the case, but I think that you can have a Saturday brunch. I think it's a weekend meal. 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I think that 10 a.m. is really putting it on the early side. I think 11 is the brunch sweet spot. See, I think once you start crossing into actual lunch hours, which is noon, then you're just having lunch, but you're having breakfast for lunch. I think the Saturday idea is perfectly flexible. I'd be I'd be open to considering brunch as something that happens on a Saturday. But what makes me angry is just when people start saying they're having brunch when they're literally having a different meal and they're just having breakfast for that meal. Because so, breakfast should not be diminished. It should not be something that's taken lightly or, or categorized into something else that it isn't. It can be celebrated at any time, as we learned from Parks and Recreation, which is the inspiration for the title of this podcast. Yes. So I, uh, I, I understand what brunch is, and it can fit into that category. But if we're having breakfast, we're having breakfast. What if, I'm, what if, I, what if it's a brunch menu that has a hamburger on it, and I order mm. the hamburger at 1030 in the morning? Mm. It's a brunch menu that has a hamburger on it. Yes. Just like a, um, no no thrills, just like we're just serving our burger early if you want it. I think that is just a restaurant being accommodating to its clientele. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually having brunch. Um, I, I think you can participate in brunch by not having breakfast foods. That's fine. The, the restaurant seems to be allowing it, but... It's yeah. not really, well, you're not I, fully engaging with brunch. I was looking at this place to Those go no for brunch on Saturday before the Indie Spirits. And it's a place that 
they mainly they only serve breakfast food. Well, there's like other things, but it's mainly breakfast food, and they only do late night and dinner and brunch. You can't go to this place mm. for like a Monday breakfast, but it has you know it's one of the things that they have is all the breakfast burger, ah, yeah, grass fed well, beef, smashed tots. Ooh, you put the tots on it, then you're really talking. Tapatio candied bacon, mm. scrambled aged cheddar eggs, yeah, and then more cheddar. Bloody Mary ketchup and a brioche bun. Yeah, that's definitely a brioche. Like, but then you have that, and like you're in a coma. You're not going in. Oh, yeah, of course. That's another oh. thing about brunch. You're not doing anything afterwards. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I think this. I think the the fact that we just got a few minutes out of the topic of brunch indicates that really this this year's Oscars have been really boring, and like the lead up has been very undramatic, and there's really nothing to discuss. And I feel like that's such a shame. So I guess we should just keep talking about brunch. Yeah, you're gonna have a hard job on Sunday coming up with topics to write about yeah, Kate. It's I don't know. Like, it's it's so sad that the last few months have been like quiet. There's been no controversy. No controversy. Um, it's been you know very pleasant. Just, every movie, yeah. every movie that's been nominated has a publicly acknowledged director that is celebrated as much as their own film. I mean, what an idea! I know, right? It's like movies are directed by people, and that should reflect upon the movie movie as we appreciate it. And I mean, by the time by the time this joke plays out for our audience, <laughs> this could all be actually accurate. This it could, could be the a, Oscars could have done exactly what they're hoping to do and put all of this horrific lead up behind them. And had, like, an actual pretty good show. And people are only talking about the fact that Roma is the first Netflix Best Picture winner. And that, um, you know, uh, Christian Bale finally won his first lead actor Oscar. And what are the other kind of controversy nullifying victories that could happen? Because... I mean, Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Glenn Close. But but Glenn Close winning over Olivia Colman is going to be... A sad thing that it's happens. It's not controversial, though. Yeah. These, yeah. Aren't, these, aren't, these aren't going to rise any ires, uh, if you will. Shallow so. wins best song. Yeah. Also fine. Yeah. I feel like that's like the only, I mean, watch, we, you know, listen to this in a week yeah. and we all laugh. I feel like Shallow is the only sure thing. Yes. To, to be very explicitly clear, dear dear gentle listener, we are recording this on Tuesday, uh, not Tuesday, the Thursday before the Oscars. It, you'll listen to it on Monday. You so yeah, we we're gonna do our best. We're we're doing our best to keep this as relevant as possible, despite the fact that we could be completely wrong about every single word we say in, during during the you know recording of this podcast. So the idea behind that is that we're gonna talk about one of the more debated, discussed, reported on issues related to the Oscars, which is the fact that they are going hostless. Right. Um, there is the uh, unsubstantiated rumor that Whoopi Goldberg could be the secret Oscar host. Uh, can I, can, I, can, I, can I tell you where I land on that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sure. Um, I was just going to say, I 100% believe she will be the first person to speak mm. on the stage. I, I, I believe that she will be, they will look to her as, this is a nice tone-setting person who people, everyone really likes and respects, and she will come out and she will set the tone, but she will not be like the secret host, but she will be the basically the the closest thing to an MC the night has. She will not reappear. She will just be essentially a presenter, but what she is presenting is the Academy Awards. I mean, what I, I love the idea that there could be a secret host. I love conspiracy-type theories like that. But considering the way the Academy has conducted themselves the past few weeks over any sort of uh, decision involving the show, I feel like they would have been like weirdly touting it, like, guess what we've got for you now? And there's been none of that. So yeah. I agree with Liz. I think she'll be the first person out on stage... 
will be the closest to a monologue introduction that we're going to get, but she's not the secret host. It's kind of, it would be really funny if this was on Fox and then, uh, so, and then ABC could just pull a full on mass Singer thing. <laughs> be, I mean, there's nothing actually technically stopping them from pulling a mass Singer gag. It probably won't happen, but still. And you all will have already known this yes. because the Oscars have already happened. Sorry. So you know whether or not the 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 Whoopi Goldberg conspiracy theory was true or false, it was inflated or not. Um, but the idea uh, and and kind of the ire that's been built up over the the last few months as they debated the whole host scenario, um, it, it seems a little unnecessary. And I, I think what we wanted to talk about today was just whether or not a show could succeed without a host. Mm-hmm. And we have some rather strong opinions on the matter. Um, but the general idea that the Oscars would go hostless seems so scandalous to so many people. That's that's why they didn't believe it for so long. There are people who still, I think, going into Oscars weekend are just like, who, so who's hosting? Like, And then somebody says, no one. And then they're like, no, 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 somebody is. I just don't know who it is. We just don't remember. Let's Google it. Somebody will tell right. me. <laughs> um, but, you know, reportedly there isn't one. And um, I, for one, am fine with this. I, I don't have a problem with the Oscars going hostless. Uh, I think that the way they did it doesn't lend itself to a strong belief that the show is going to go swimmingly, that everything's going to be fine. Right. But the general idea of going hostless is something that's been done by many award shows in the past. It was done very successfully up until the last two years by the SAG Awards, especially mm-hmm. when they started televising on TNT. And the whole experience of having of going hostless usually when when done well puts the focus back on the work it puts the focus back on um all the nominees and the winners so like the show becomes reliant on the speeches the show gets to uh, celebrate all of the uh presenters and give them their time in the spotlight to talk about the nominees and talk about the 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 work at hand uh without you know any sort of interference from a host who's trying to transition or trying to insert themselves or trying to do you know, whatever it is the host is supposed to do after they deliver their monologue, which can sometimes be either clunky if the monologue didn't go well and you're not excited to see the host, or it can be infuriating because you're like, God, I love this person. Why aren't they coming back more often? By eliminating the host, you eliminate that problem. And again, like the SAGs did this so well in the past, I, I, I don't necessarily think that the fact that they've had hosts has been a huge problem now, but it was like they just wanted to fit in with the other award shows so they added hosts and i i didn't think it was necessary but again we'll find out how this goes but liz i I believe you're rather pro host i am pro host um in part because i you know i it's similar to how much i like i enjoy late night uh when it's done well uh you know just kind of that the kind that kind of format i like a good speech i like a good i like i like i like well executed zingers all that jazz uh i think being hostless is I feel I feel like having a strong opening monologue with a great host does such a nice job of setting the tone of the atmosphere. And I feel like and you know and I I and I also feel like, you know, having having the host come in and offer continuity of for the evening, especially like especially like in when there's potential for chaos. And I think like you can look to the iconic Moonlight La La Land situation as if there had been a stronger host than Jimmy Kimmel, like to hand kind of handle that, it could it could have happened a little more. It could have been handled a little more smoothly. I I don't disagree with this. I disagree with this very much. I, I think there was no, nothing. <laughs> you that disagreed Jimmy Kimmel, so much with me, you couldn't even say it. Yeah, I, I I mean that was such a, a disaster <laughs> that 
I, I, I think it went as well as it could have without them after they read the name wrong to begin with. Like yeah. we had somebody else step in and, and say very clearly what was going on. Jordan Hoffman, right? Jordan Hoffman. Um, no, Jordan. Jordan. Uh, Horowitz. 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 I would Jordan say Horowitz. Hoffman. Um, but anyway. But ima- Ben, imagine that situation if there was not a host. Because, at like, all. At all. Because no. Kimmel I think, did I think, eventually. I think Kimmel came out and like did kind of close up the night, which was nice. Yeah. And I think like the problem is like when a host when a hosting goes badly, like for example, I think Neil Patrick Harris isn't the worst host that the Oscars have ever had. But his you know magic briefcase bit or whatever the hell that was, <laughs> like that just bombed and you know and that's like that's what we remember about his hosting not any of the well-executed musical numbers the other argument i want to make in favor of having a host is it's not just the fact that you have a host but that host always brings in a writing staff and i feel like the golden globes uh this year i like the golden globes this year a lot um and especially andy sandberg and sandra O's hosting i thought there were some good jokes and if you look at that if you look at the credited writers on the show Andy and Sandra brought in their friends and like there were some really high level comedians working on that working in that writer's room. And so, you know, I think so it's not just that the tone set the host sets the tone, but the host also is a big factor in bringing in the talent that makes the show work overall in terms of like all sorts of bits, all sorts of, in, you know, announcer intros, that sort of thing. Like and that shit is hard to write. Like it is really really hard to write the find that mix of funny and irreverent and also reverent and profound and like you know and we see and we know it's really tough to write because i've actually tried had to write it before uh in previous jobs and it's really tough and also uh you know we see it constantly on grown-up proper shows they that constantly biff it like so that's my rant about hosting it's important i like it I like I like a host, and I also like the fact that a host br- brings a point of view to it, and mm-hmm. it gives an opportunity for the you know the academy to put forward a point of view that might not have been heard. Like having Whippy as a host, I think was a big deal in that respect. I mean, I'm generally pro host, but I think this with this Oscars, I understand the decision to not have a host because it was such a mess with the Kevin Hart stuff, and I was like, there it was just wasn't winnable like whoever you bring in everyone knows at the very least you are the second choice you're clean up you're going to be you know presumably not controversial in any way and that's not very exciting that's true i would much rather have a host but i in years going forward i hope we bring back a host but this year uh. i mean i'm not up on my oscar lore what was the reason behind not having a host for the 1989 oscars I will look this up actually. Go to the internet. See yes. what the internet tells you. I'll look up, up but Kate, you had an you did make a really good point though before about one reason why caring about the host isn't necessarily that big a deal. Well, I mean, one thing that I feel like has tended to happen, especially with the Oscars, is that you get a host, they come out strong, they do a monologue, and then an hour and a half into the show you're like, Wait, I where's Anne Hathaway? Where's James Franco? Unfortunate. Um Where's, you know, Jimmy Kimmel? And then all of a sudden Jimmy Kimmel's showing up throwing treats to the audience. And that's not good either. I don't really want that. But Yeah, they they're it's it's an odd balance to strike. And again, like so much of it comes down to your perception of that person, like how much you like that person going in, how much they've won you over in the moment. And it can go either way. So like you're either excited to see them come back or you're 
frustrated to see them come back, and it could be an easy split within the audience. Um, as to like kind of all the tonal discussions, I honestly think it's easier for the producers to handle and respond to the tone, especially considering you know they're the ones uh, working behind the scenes to kind of gauge how the night is going and put different people in place and attract the talent that you're talking about in terms of like who the presenters are going to be and you know who's going to hand the trophy to who and who they believe is going to win so that they can orchestrate that special little moment. Um, so I, I don't know. I think I think the tone of the show is often decided by by the show itself. Like the, this year's Golden Globes is a great example. I, I was not a huge fan. I love Andy Samberg and Sandra Oh, but I was not a huge fan of how they executed their opening monologue. I wasn't a huge fan of how like the show went down in general. But I thought that the show itself was trying to set one thing that didn't really gel with the with the opening intentions of the hosts like the the how the show rolled out especially with the weird wins at the end for like bohemian rhapsody and rami malek and all of this kind of weird controversial stuff overwhelmed the idea of like the good intentions that they were trying to set at the start and it's like you don't really get to decide that like you can try to set the tone from the start as a host assuming that this is that one thing's going to happen but you don't really know because nobody really knows the winners and that way, like, the final thing you remember are either the things you didn't like or the big surprises or the momentous speech. Um, or, you know, again, if you're lucky, if things go really well, you're going to remember that opening monologue or, you know, some special bit that they decided to do. But I, I feel like those are few and far between, especially as we get farther along. So um, I have done I have done my Wikipedia of uh, the 1989, uh, 1989 Academy Awards. So they don't specify a reason why they don't have a ho- the the Wikipedia entry doesn't specify why they don't have a host. Instead, in order to showcase more glamour and showmanship in the ceremony, Ooh. the producer hired playwright Steve Silver to co-produce an opening number inspired by Silver's long-running musical review, Beach Blanket Blanket Babylon, which is a well. Which is a relatively, I believe, is a relatively infamous uh, San Francisco show. This the segment consisted of an elaborate stage show centered on actress Eileen Bowman dressed as Snow White from Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, who comes to Hollywood as an entranced by its glamour. Like Beach Blanket Babylon, the opening number also fe- featured dancers wearing giant elaborate hats. <laughs> I mean, giant elaborate hats. That's glamour to me. Yeah. I, yeah. Can't get past that. Well, I, I mean, this does this does point to some of the concerns that I would have about not having a host or what they might try to replace the time that they would have given to like a host monologue right. or something else. If we run into a bunch of those weird montages where they're just like, look, movies, I'm going to die. Like that's those are always the things that should have obviously yeah. been cut by the time the night ends. And if that's what they're deciding to kind of replace the the monologue or the or the you know in and outs with like that's not going to go great. But. Well, I mean that's the fa- the fascinating thing about the way live TV is made is that you you know they have so much pre-taped montages like that stuff and it's all there essentially to serve as a balance in case you know you know things go long and that's you know but they as as the show goes on of course they go over and like there's a producer in the back going what can we cut what can we cut what can we cut and that's why usually the montages it's why why it's always weird to see an a, one of those montages after hour 2 because they exist largely just in case they're not making their time limit as they are and then meanwhile but and that's also why there's i'm sure multiple versions of the introductions to best actor and best actress cut together one with clips and one without and I think, didn't they t- actually talk about maybe dropping the clips this year entirely? Or, I mean, there's been so much, I don't even, like, yeah, maybe, I don't they've know. They've done it in the past, which yeah. was, a, I, again, but, but like, one of those things that I hate, but. 
But they've done it like they cut it for time. Like they cut they cut it for time like towards the end of the night. Like I'm wondering if like they cut it all to you know, I think maybe I maybe I no, misread no, no. it. In the tweet. past they've completely cut it from the ceremony before they started the ceremony. Right. They decided we weren't going to do it this year, we're going right. to do something else. Which I I don't think again, like I think the whole point of this and what the Oscars, the the Academy seems to be afraid of leaning into is that we are here to celebrate the movies and they seem so terrified of their own nominees, like that they're not good enough that they're not going to attract enough people except this year with Black Panther apparently, even though you know, hey, look, the president of movies in the past. Um, they just they need to lean into the fact that we're here to celebrate those and people are excited to see them and they can show those clips and they can give those people their time and people will respond to that because, you know, the whole point of the movies is to elicit emotions from people like those clips will elicit emotions. They will get you a response. Yes. Well, like last year, wasn't there like one of those weird montage packages that was just like war movies? And it's just like, what up with that? And yeah. you're like, why not? <laughs> have like something about the movies that are nominated this year not just some weird mini retrospective of war in the movies what a thing and i remember watching that being like what remember Why? when val kilmer rode a horse on the stage we need more of that we right. more of it more val kilmer on a horse actually uh well it's I'm, like they're clinging to the nostalgia with that stuff like yeah. they just know that People will remember that. And they'll remember liking that, I guess. So they just are like, well, we'll remind them that they liked those. And everybody's seen those movies. So they'll like to see them again now for no reason. Well, it's the, no, flawed the, logic. Well, the, the Val Kilmer on a horse thing was accompanied either it was the way he introduced or the way he uh, like brought, came out of um, a clip, a montage about, hey, remember how Westerns are good? And it wasn't even like a year, I think, when Westerns were nominated. I think what? it was like, like a couple of years after Unforgiven or something. Um, but here's my question. So one year, I distinctly remember they, I'm sure this was recently, so I'm sure you guys remember it too. They did the thing where they dropped clips entirely, which meant they didn't have anything to cut later. And then they just had friends of the actors who were nominated to come out and say, Hey, what up, dude? You were great in that movie. Yo. Like, who wants that? I want to see a clip to remind me of the movie. Like, it's nice that you have famous friends. And that's great, too. But it's always this thought of, well, why is this person here? Why is Cher here talking about Willem Dafoe? I don't think that that was one of those things. And actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I would have loved that. <laughs> so maybe I'm just like Cher's, proving Cher's myself Cher's opinions wrong. on Willem Dafoe actually do <laughs> intrigue me now. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> hey, maybe it'll happen this year. Who knows? Maybe Cher, may, maybe Barbara Streisand will come out and have her opinion about Richard E. Grant. <gasps> that would be... The dream. Life-changing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think this year I'm expecting a very safe show. I, I'm expecting, I mean, I am expecting the montages. I am expecting everything else to just be so by the book that no one's going to be that upset. Mm-hmm. And and they'll just let that ride out. But um, there is a way to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And I would be curious. I, again, I, I am a, I'm a fan of a lot of hosts as well. I like the drama in selecting one and the potential in who they get. Like, um, you know, obviously... Hugh Jackman is. I mean, the, the 2009 of the Oscar opening. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, no, no. But the 2009 Oscars opening montage is well, monologue is still one of the greatest of all time. Um, Refresh me. Uh, it's the one where it's because of the recession, he got his budget got cut. But gosh darn it, he's going to put on a show anyway. Yep. yep. Uh, the the song for which uh, Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub uh, won an Emmy later that year. I mean, it's arguably responsible for Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosting because that was when Hugh Jackman brought Anne Hathaway onto the stage and they sang and that was lovely. Um, but, you know, 
Why did you take some wins? Sorry. I get really excited about the Hugh Jackman opening monologue. It's very good. And it's it's the kind of thing that, you know, the right host, given the right circumstances and the right writers and with the right talent, can elicit. And and you know, this year I completely agree, like there's there's with Kate, there's no way of, of following the Kevin Hart disaster. Like it's just it's so bad. But the thing you often hear now when people are asked if they'd consider hosting the Oscars or the Emmys or anything, is they just say it's a thankless job. Like it's not something where you know, you're usually going to have, ev- like, not everyone agrees that Hugh Jackman was the most amazing Oscar host. I don't understand those people, but, like, it's not something that is, is going to win you any favors, necessarily, mm-hmm. so... I mean, it takes a lot of time, yeah. and I do think that people tend to remember if they didn't like something, so they're, like, you more often than not, you'll hear someone say, oh, so-and-so was such a terrible Oscar host. I don't remember the last time I heard someone say, besides listen, Hugh Jackman, like, oh, man... <laughs> so-and-so was so great and I, I feel like that's true of most award shows but yeah i understand why people think it's thankless and that's why i always get a little ticked off when like they will announce the host for a show and someone's like well why couldn't we get like tina and amy well guess what tina and amy probably didn't want to do this because they had much cooler stuff to do yeah. that's always my thinking this is why i am willing to host the Oscars. Oh, there well, we go. No, it's, and it's, it's honestly a very good point because the like ABC puts so much emphasis on finding a host that they think is going to attract ratings. Whereas if they actually focused on finding a, a person who was well-suited for the job, who was like a stand-up comic who enjoyed this and had great pop culture knowledge and not necessarily is like the most well-known name, but is somebody who is really good at this specific thing and wants to do it and is excited to do it and is going to use the time on stage in front of all these people to, you know, make a name for themselves like to, to take advantage of that moment as opposed to just like i don't want to fuck up then you're going to get a better show like right. you're going to have a better show and that's going to make people happier so i'd like to see them reach out and try some of these more obscure voices or, or just lesser known voices who um who would definitely deliver a memorable show for the right reasons or at least would be trying things for the right reasons um, than to them continually keep thinking that if we get the right host, we're going to get ratings from 10 years ago. And it's like, you're never going to get ratings from 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, I, I'm just remembering that the, I, I remember that my, my actual like quasi dream pick for Oscars host uh, at a certain point in the whole conversation over the last few months was actually Billy Eichner who mm-hmm. falls very much into the category you're talking about where he's, I mean, this is a man who's literally dragged Julianne Moore around Times Square <laughs> to have her to have her perform, act for Taurus. Like, if anyone's well-suited to be an Oscars host, it's him. But actually, I want to go to, like, a sports metaphor, Ben, oh if, you, if you will. Because um, if I understand this, the ter- in, in sports balling, there's the <laughs> idea of a rebuilding year where it's mm. like, you know, you under, you know, it's like a year where you, you, you know your team's not going to do great. But you know that they, you know that you know you know that this year is necessary to kind of get the team together and get people excited about him again for the following year. Like, would you classify say that if, if I am at all on point with this sports ball metaphor, would you say that this year is a rebuilding year, or would you say that next year would be a rebuilding year? Um, I would say this year is like the lost season where they weren't ready to rebuild and they just fucked up entirely. And now they have to prepare for the rebuilding. But okay. the problem with the the only problem with the analogy, which is it's very much on point, would be they would have had to be making good decisions for me to trust that they would be able to rebuild. Right. So far, like the 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 running 
the, the running concept, I guess, for the Student <laughs> Academy Awards is just like choices and then backtracking from those choices. So if they would have made a choice and tried it out and stuck with it and then it didn't work and then they learned from it, it's like, okay, so now they're in the rebuilding phase. But they just don't seem to have any concrete idea at all about what they want the thing to be or what they want to celebrate or how they want to celebrate it. So they definitely need to start rebuilding in some shape or form. Um, if not, you know, just return to like the, the happy acceptance of what they'd done 10 mm-hmm. years ago before they went into ratings panic. But um, yeah, the <laughs> this is definitely more of just a lost year because there's no there's nothing they could point to to say, look, 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 we learned so many things that we're we're going to apply to the future and we're going to be okay next year. It's like, no, you're you're just you know barely stay afloat. They learned that the next time they hire before they hire their next Oscar hosts, go to twitter.com/slash/advanced/search gay user handle. It's easy. Um, I'm not sure they learned that, but no. I mean, I think it was really telling. Like during uh, ABC had an executive session during TCAs, I and I, I got it. Actually, I got a microphone. I got to ask like the president of ABC, like, what do you see the entertainment value of the show being? Like, what do you think people actually tune in to watch? And she basically came back with kind of a response about how excited she was for all the musical numbers. Because they had just, by the way, like moments before, like a day or two before, reversed their decision on uh, the fa- on not playing, having every song played. Though it sounds like some of them are going to be limited to 90 seconds. Again, sorry, not with the speculation that it won't even matter as you guys, as humble listeners listen to this. Apologies for that. Um, but yes. But it speaks to the chaos of the show as, as, as we currently understand it. It's going to be something. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Um, I mean, I put together our in, informal IndieWire uh, Oscar ballot and the tiebreaker question, uh, mm. which uh, for a, for a first for the IndieWire Oscar ballot is how long do you think the show will run? And the answers are going to change dramatically from people who filled it out before certain changes were announced and people who filled it out after. But do you guys think it will run significantly over three hours because they added back the categories? I mean, what did I say? My guess was. Did I say like four hours? You, I think you added like, I think you went maybe 313 or something. I can look like it up. Like I added, I was like, no, expand it out. Because, yeah, I, I think. Their target is three hours, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be a three hour show. Right. I mean, when you're there, it never feels like, <laughs> it feels like it's like eight hours long. Oh, yeah. You, 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 put, you, you changed it's it to four hours year. and four minutes. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. I, I. I think it'll be like no more than three ten. Like I, I don't think they're gonna again. Like I think they're gonna be so safe and so cautious that rather than risk running long, rather than risk like anything turning people off or upsetting anybody, they're just gonna be like Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther. We hope you win something. We're out. We're done. Oh, but also, we're not gonna have Kendrick Lamar on the show to sing the song. Yeah. Wait, Kendrick yeah. Lamar's not singing the song. Yeah, that like just came out today. What's Kendrick I, like, what are they want? doing? What did they want? Yeah. By they, I mean the Academy and the Oscars. What? Again, if, if, that, if they hadn't already decided beforehand to just punt on this year's ceremony, I think when that, when they learned that he wasn't going to do it, it's like that's when they were like, no, we're done. So again, like I I think if it's if it if the show itself was embodying everything that's led up to it, 
it would be six hours long. Like it would be <laughs> the biggest train wreck you can possibly imagine. There would be like, it'd be, it'd be six hours be, long. Multiple people would win the same award. Yeah, there'd be there'd be a bunch of confusion over the winners. There would be um, there'd be like 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 audio problems during the songs. Uh, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody would win everything, and people would start booing, and they'd have to like do crowd control. Like there would be so many things that it blew completely out of proportion. But because I don't, I, because I think they're going to react to that in the sense that we're just gonna just. We're just going to punt. We're not going to try. We're just going to get this thing over with so I we mean, can move on. It'll be three hours. I almost wish that it, we were getting the six-hour full train wreck version because that's more entertaining than, like, a very, like, snappy, sanitary, boring oh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. That's the other thing about it. Like, everybody who likes the Oscars always point. Nobody who likes the Oscars is complaining that this runs long. Like, if, if the show runs long because it's bad, that's one thing. But if the show's running long because, you know, there's good speeches and there's songs that we want to hear and we're celebrating movies that we like and, you know, stuff is happening, that's fine. Like, I don't care about that. It's only, it's, only, it's only when you've made horrible decisions and terrible things happen that we're going to bitch about you keeping us up past 11 p.m. Yep. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, hopefully we all enjoyed watching it to some degree. <laughs> <laughs> or at least enjoy the the aftermath of discussing it, as I'm sure we will. I honestly, Kate, I just hope it goes well for you. Like yes. whatever whatever happens on TV is one thing, but going there and dealing with all of that all day, yeah. sitting backstage and working, and like I hope they treat you well. I hope there's food aplenty and drinks aplenty. And do they serve alcohol? They do not serve alcohol. Ugh, there's terrible. always plenty of food. Um, it's you know, of course, it's very well organized and. But it's kind of crazy. And the thing that I think most people don't realize, and they're always surprised when I tell them, is like, even though I am backstage and I am not going to be anywhere near the ballroom or the show, you still have to wear formal attire. Yeah. Because if there's any chance that at any point a camera can catch you, you have got to be wearing a tux or... Is that why it is? Yes. Okay. Someone finally told me that a couple years ago. Like, that's why. Interesting. Because, like, I mean, I guess, like, I'm I'm thinking, because I go to do the Golden Globes backstage... And, you know, I am, there are points where, are, you, know, you know, like they don't keep you from walking. If you're back in the backstage section, they, they don't keep you from walking through the lobby. Right. Uh, where the famous are also hanging out. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Makes me glad I wear a dress. Yeah. <laughs> don't wear your, you know, sweatpants and you're fine. I wonder, I, I, there's a part of me that would love to do like, cha- see, like, challenge it. Like, see, how, how far can you push the line? Like, like how, how what, what to what degree of bad would you have to be dressed uh, to get kicked out? It was funny because in one of the emails from the academy this week, they sent out many reminder emails about various things. One thing was a dress code reminder, and it like was like you know men have to wear dark suits or tuxedos, and women Wait, you have can't wear a light suit. No, you can't wear like a powder blue disco. Ben, but that's so sad. But for it, your... why do you think I don't go? <laughs> it specifically said that you can't wear club wear and i was like oh someone well, tried to this seems to be new because someone showed up in club attire oh uh, i want the photo that like circulated around the academy like pr company being like this is unacceptable this is like, the thing that we can't let happen again did i message you about the lady at the golden globes who literally had like a freaking not just like a ball gown. I'm talking like a prince, a, a Cinderella ball gown. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was insane. I was just like, "How are you? 
what what are you are you not working i guess she was on camera i don't know i I just want to give mad props to emily heller for her money's outfit when she had the uh getty images on her purse yes (laughs) she did the tweet god yeah google emily heller getty images um i believe her accompanying tweet was guess what photo company really loved taking my photo (laughs) guess what other photo companies did not yeah (laughs) kate is looking at it now on, on her great podcast, Baby Geniuses, she like talked about in very vague terms what she was doing for the ceremony this year. Right. And like she was like, I think I don't know if people are gonna like it or if they're gonna hate it, but like I figured I'd just try something. I just wanna be I just want my picture to show up somewhere. Like I just want them to take it, you know? And like right. then, then this happened and holy shit. It was wonderful. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. Yeah, so that's delightful. Um, so yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, knock on wood. It's Sunday, as Monday morning. We're all happy we spent Sunday and the previous months caring this much about this show. Um, but in the meantime, let us let us talk about other things. Kate, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I'm so happy to be able to come on the Very Good TV podcast and actually be able to talk about TV. Hooray! Because I am entirely caught up on True Detective. Yay! And so that's been the best thing I've watched for, like, the past couple of weeks. And it's, it was, like, it was very good from the jump. Like, from the first episode, you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be a lot better than the second season. But we did a little bit of binging, so it'd be like three in a row. And it really, it gets even better when you watch it in that format. So I'm extremely excited for the finale, but I've really enjoyed what we've had so far. Yeah. All right, Kate, here's the question. While we're while we're talking about things that have already happened for our listeners, yeah. was there a McConaughey or Harrelson cameo in the finale? My bet is yes. <gasps> Yes. I think just one. I don't think you're going to get both, but yes, I think, yeah. Which I'd go with McConaughey. I don't know why. I don't know. Well, was, was, was Harrelson? enough, McConaughey did show up to the season three premiere. To they both I remain thought, executive I McConaughey producers. McConaughey was there, too. No, I just said McConaughey showed up. Oh, I thought you said Harrelson. Okay. No. Uh, but they're both still executive producers on the show, so they're still tied to it. Um, hmm. I, think, I think I agree with you, but I'll go that both. I I think both will show up. I which one was in the wheelchair at the end of season one? Harrelson. Yeah, I but, think. It's I mean, that wasn't permanent. I know, but I'm just saying. Like he, I'm just. I don't. I don't know why that's why. What? What? I, you didn't also ask me my opinion on the question, but I'm guessing I have, I'm allowed to have an answer. Um, of course, so I was just. She, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just double checking. Just double checking. Um, wasn't sure. Sometimes maybe it could be a guest. I, I have no. <laughs> just jump in, Liz. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My, my, I was just thinking, like, because I, I know for some reason, for some reason it feels more poignant to me if one of them isn't alive anymore. I don't mm. know why. I know. I'm feel, I, I it's said. It's like three years after. I, people somebody die all the dead. time. Yeah. There is no way they kill somebody off. If there is even, like, the 1% chance that they would come back to do, like, a fourth season with, like, Marty uh-huh. Hart. And, uh, there's no way. Okay. There's no way they'd kill them off. That would be crazy, though. What if they killed one of them off, and then the next, like, season four is set up to be the case for how they solve the murder of so-and-so? See, that's good, though. Well, I think you've cracked it. Yeah, that's good. That's interesting. Well, that'd be so sad. Yeah. I'd be devastated. Aw. I mean, Daniel Sackheim did say this was a heartbreaking finale. Oh, so. no. Oh. Well, I mean, but we, we all, we, yeah. Yeah, so. Th- Daniel knows a few things about It's not going to be feel good. I mean, yeah. let's be, a, it, 
you know, it is still true detective. I mean, the end of season one was pretty feel good. I felt great. <laughs> I, I personally felt wonderful. I felt, I felt awesome when that was over. It's just like, oh, yeah, the light is winning. They were, they, I mean, they both lived, which was something. Yeah, they were still cracking jokes with each other. They yeah. were buddies again. I yeah. mean, I don't know how it could have ended better. Yeah, that's a fair point. So, um, yeah. I, 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 that's my best thing, too. So, Liz, let's just move quickly <laughs> on to you. Uh, uh, what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, I mean, because I haven't watched any True Detectives since last week when I said True Detective. Um, my answer is uh, I'm, I'm just going to shout out the Anna Paquin show, Flack. I don't think the show is for everyone. It's kind of just kind of, it's a little, it's trashy, soapy, dark, comic fun. Um, but if you have, if you enjoy kind of trashy stories about life as a celebrity, like I think there's that element to it. It feels very much in a vein with other shows I've enjoyed in that sort of very specific subgenre, like, you know, easy arrangement. Um, and also there is a character named Eve who is played by a woman whose name I'm blanking on, but she was, I believe, a regular on Good Girls Revolt. And uh, Eve is amazing. Eve is, like, one of those, like, perfect queen bitch characters where you just really want to be her and have that level of confidence and just, you know, destroy people's lives, but also actually be kind of a really interesting, weird, sincere character. Like, it's... I, I enjoy Flack. It stars Anna Paquin as a PR rep working in London uh, with a wide variety of kind of skeezy clients. Liz, you haven't told our dear listeners how they watch this wonderful show. It's on Pop. It's on, Pop, a, on a cable network. Pop TV. Pop TV. Yeah. Um, it's on a cable network, so you probably won't watch it until it appears well, on no, Netflix. No, it's not that. It's just that no, I don't know where yeah, Pop TV is, fine. so we need to I, make I, sure I, that people I, I mean, I, see I don't, it when they're scrolling. And yeah, if you, see, if you see Flack on, on Pop TV or if in the six months time you see it on some sort of streaming service, um, <laughs> which is probably more likely, yeah. you should watch it. But in the meantime, Flack. Have they... Have they they put their shows on Netflix, right? Uh, Shit's Creek is at least on Netflix, yeah. but yeah. Shit's Creek is also a CBC co-production. Right, so, right. I think it might vary. I, I would, I, I could see Flack making it to Netflix, and I think it would do actually yeah. very well there. I think that's very much a, a show that would perform in that capacity. And honestly, the worst thing about it is that it's only six episodes, which Netflix probably won't like. How long are these episodes? Hour long. Oh. But like episode, so I've watched the first four, okay, and I've been waiting to watch episode five, and I'm very excited about it because the whole episode is one hour long. They mentioned at TCA's, and it's just Anna Paquin hanging out with Bradley Whitford on an airplane. Yes, this is content they made for Liz Miller. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. I mean that sounds that sounds good to me. Yeah, no. Bradley Whitford, come on, Brad the B Woods hanging out, being kind of a dirty old man. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Are you not here for Bradley Whitford and all of his incarnations? Um, I definitely prefer prefer the Bradley Whitford I can root for, and as opposed to the one I root against. I, I understand he's he's very good at doing. <coughs> he can do anything he wants. I just personally, if I'm gonna spend an hour with him, I want I want West Wing coup. Well, the problem. I mean, the problem with the problem the problem with the Bradley Whitford on the uh, with Josh on the West Wing. Is that technically he is a great character who I always want to root for, but there are a couple of episodes where he is just like king dork or king awful jerk face, and I get mad at him, and I resent him. I think I repress those episodes. No, you should, and I always skip past them, but they their lingering memory reminds me that Bradley Whitford is not 
unskilled at the art of assholery. <laughs> to coin a phrase. I like it. He's great on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He's great on he's great on so many shows. More shows should have Bradley Whitford on them. He's working on it. Yeah, I know. Good work, Bradley Whitford. Um, Kate, what is the next thing you're looking forward to? I guess the True Detective finale. Yes. <laughs> Was that going to also be your answer? Yeah. And I was going <laughs> to use my time to oh, ask no. about other theories. Like, <laughs> do we think that Roland is gay? I've been wondering about that. I, I think that he and and uh, old what's Scoot. his name? Well, Scoot McNary. Tom. I think that um, Wait, he, Scoot, you, you think Scoot and Roland were having a special thing? I don't know if they got to full special thing, but I think they might have been moving towards special thing. They definitely had they had a bond, sure, yes. which has been illustrated so far strictly as kind of a cop who feels sorry for a guy who went off the rails thing. Sure, but we know that that Tom tried to pray the gay away at one point, and yep. it didn't quite work. Uh, he visited a lot of local clubs. Um, Roland is still single in his old age. He was with uh, a woman. Uh, during one of during the middle timeline, but uh, that didn't work out, and it's been kind of ominous about how that didn't work out. And again, it keeps coming back to kind of the his his fervent like dedication to Tom, like how kind of not infatuated, but how much he's grieving over what happened to him right. has spurred a lot of theories that they were uh, at least had feelings for each other. Okay, um, can I please share that the. On truedetective.fandom.com, the Wikipedia, um, because I was Googling to confirm it. We're going to go down a hole. No, no, it's actually a very limit. It's a very, it's a very, very, it's a very short Wikipedia entry, um, but because it's fan edited, but it's not apparently a very active one. Uh, But there is, like, there's a very short, a very short entry, but there is one user comment from a fandom user. He is the happiest go lucky protagonist that True Detective ever had! Exclamation point. Oh. Roland? Yes. It's only. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I, comparatively. I mean, Woody was having fun. Yeah, it's him or Woody for sure, but. Yeah, I guess, I guess I guess Woody yeah probably had it harder. His marriage was rough. Yeah, he he got pretty. Yeah, Roland probably. I guess he probably is. Yeah, well, that's hard to believe. Well, congratulations, Roland. <laughs> Stephen Dorff loved it at the time of his life. Yeah, get that man an Emmy nomination. So do you have do you have other questions you want to ask? Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got plenty. Do you want me to keep going? Should we make this an hour long podcast? <laughs> I mean, is it not already? Yeah, no, we're at forty nine minutes okay. less because we started recording early. That's true. So. All right, we're not doing too bad then. Liz, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, you know what? I don't have a. I've got a lot of screeners I need to catch up on. But it's the True Detective finale. <laughs> Am I right? Well, I was going to mention. I was actually going to mention another thing though that we'll have seen by the time this episode, this episode of the podcast uh, premieres. Um, I'm going to shout out Daisy Samero, um, which is uh, Showtime's new uh, talk show, which is launching as we record this tonight. It's uh, it's going to run Thursdays. And uh, Daisy Samero are such engaging, charismatic dudes, and I'm really excited for how they really just seem devoted to they. They just seem really into being themselves and doing whatever the hell they want. And Showtime seems really committed to letting them do that and uh, giving them the resource, resources to do so. And I'm looking like their first interview is going to be with uh, Anastasia. It's 
Anastasia Ocasio-Cortez? Alexandria. Alexandria. I knew that was wrong as I was yeah. saying it. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I have always struggled with her name, even though I think she is very, very cool. She's a lot of name. Yeah, she's got a lot of name. AOC, though, going to be their first guest, and I bet that'll be really entertaining. And then, uh, yeah, it's going to be... I always like I always like a new late-night format. I always like to see what people do with that kind of unstructured yet structured time. I bet all three of them have really good true detective theories. I bet so. <laughs> Look, AOC definitely has true detective theories. You know she does. And you can read all about, not her theories, but Maybe her theories, maybe. If you can get an interview with AOC about her theories about true detective, I will be super... She might just put them out there. Yeah, maybe Maybe she'll she'll do like an Instagram story about it. Yeah, actually, that's a a good point. Well, we should start... Well, we... You got... We should start tweeting at... uh, We should all start tweeting at her to do so. Just be like, we're desperate for this. Give it to us. Yeah. I think that's fair. (laughs) I don't know if that's what I don't know. If I want to do that. <laughs> I feel like she has more important things to do. I Maybe just, she wants a if little. If that's what she's diversion. doing with her life, then she should put it out there. But I don't want to berate. Don't berate uh, her. Jeez, just be like not berating. No, I, just like I am requesting true detective commentary from AOC. That I am berating her. That's I think that's just how it works. Who is not? Who are you not berating for this? I haven't printed anybody. I haven't asked. I, the only person I've asked for this is you and Kate. Like, that's the, that's the as far as my theory mongering goes. You didn't ask goes. your mom? Uh, we talked about it a little bit, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say. I think she volunteered them. I don't think I had to ask her. Okay. Hi, Anne. Uh, we'll be back next week. Actually, wait, no. Sorry, I didn't do the full rundown. Uh, you can read all about all of our true detective theories and more at IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And please listen to our other podcasts, including the one that started it all, Screen Talk, with Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson, uh, as well as, I mean, I'm sure he already knows the ending of True Detective. He may have written the ending of True Detective. That is just how wise and seasoned and brilliant the Chris O'Fault is. And yes, I do mean the Chris O'Fault, the because Chris there O'Fault. is only one. And there is only one Filmmaker Toolkit podcast, so make sure you listen to that, too. Yep. Yeah. Um... You can follow Kate on Twitter at Kate Kate Erbland with with only the one e. The one e. In the one e. But it's a good. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We're wishing you the best of luck all weekend long. Uh. And it's always always a pleasure to have you. Hopefully we can have you again at least maybe a, less than a year from now. <laughs> Who knows? Thanks, Kate. Thanks yeah. so much for having me. Of course. Our pleasure. Uh, you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T Travers. And even better, you can find Liz at Lizlet. I said that wrong. Yeah, no, he's Lizlet. Oh, I say Liz Miller. You can find Liz Miller at Lizlet. Is that right? Yeah, you just say Liz. Oh, man, now I'm really, I'm in my You're in the hole. You're, 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 you're. All right, I'm done. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Lizlet. Uh, You can be very much, consider yourself thanked for listening. Uh, We will be back next week. We are going to talk about True Detective then. I'm fairly confident. So get, get excited for that. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television.